Welcome to the Genuinely You podcast channel, which is packed with advice and tips on how to live your life with purpose. Do you wish you felt happy and fulfilled? Are you feeling stuck, wishing things could be better? Are you ready to take some action and create the life you want? To start living an empowered life, you need to recognize and make full use of the power and freedom that comes from being genuinely you. Your host is Gina Gardner, a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognize that they can. Hello there, it's Gina Gardner here and I'm really pleased to join you on the World Passion Radio. My theme today is that of compassion. When you watch the news, it would be very easy to become depressed and believe that the whole human race is pitted one against the other. I believe that whilst there's much war, strife and dissension in the world, the news is skewed towards the negative. Sometimes you get a feel-good story at the end of the programme, but it appears to be a token gesture. But on a day-to-day basis, ordinary people like you and I have little control over the big world stage. However, we can have an incredibly positive and powerful impact on ourselves, the people with whom we come into contact, and on those we may never meet, yet who, in some way, we show compassion. We can also have a positive impact globally by showing compassion to the environment, to animals, and to the wider world. An African philosopher wisely said, Don't underestimate the impact you can have in the world. Just think about spending the night in a room with a mosquito. Small acts of compassion do make an enormous difference to us as individuals and to the wider world. Recently, the UK held its annual Children in Need charity. It's an annual fundraiser. Despite times being financially challenging for many, the charity raised a record amount of money, many tens of millions, to help people they'd never met, nor were they ever likely to meet them. People gave up their time willingly because they wanted to make the lives of children suffering poverty, bereavement, illness and disability a helping hand. At the heart of the whole process was compassion. Compassion is the theme I'd like to explore with you today, as I believe compassion has the power to help not only the recipient, but also the giver. Before I go any further, I'd like to share a definition which encapsulates what I mean by compassion. Now, I looked it up on the internet, and this was the definition I chose, and there were many, and many that I didn't agree with. If someone shows kindness, caring, and a willingness to help others, they're showing compassion. This is a word for a very positive emotion that has to do with being thoughtful and decent. Giving to a charity takes compassion. When you feel compassion for someone, you really want to help out. For me, compassion is not about feeling sorry for someone. That does nothing to help. In fact, being on the receiving end of pity or even sympathy has the capacity to leave people feeling that they're victims. When I was in a wheelchair permanently, um, I would often have people patting me on the head and telling me how sorry they were for me. Did it make me feel any better? No. 
Did it help me to walk? No, it just made me cross. Empathy is showing that sense of being at one with someone, understanding how they feel. If you like stepping into their shoes and backing that up with a practical helping hand in a way which offers the recipient a step up, an opportunity to feel that they're not on their own and that there is a way forward. Even if the problem is something to which there is no direct solution, such as a serious illness or bereavement, being shown true compassion can significantly help those directly involved. Equally, when people feel that no one cares, the impact is profoundly negative and the effects can last long after the difficulty has been resolved. It's perhaps easier to understand how compassion helps the recipient, but rigorous research has been done to examine the impact of compassion, or the lack of it, on the person demonstrating compassion, or not, and the results were very clear. It's thrown up some really interesting findings. Where people were compassionate in their day-to-day -day lives, their levels of positivity and happiness were found to be consistently much higher than those who did not generally show compassion. Being compassionate was found to strengthen the immune system. I believe that the feelings engendered by the act of helping someone else triggers the release of the feel-good hormones, endorphins, dopamine and serotonin. These are known to improve our sense of well-being and to be great antidotes to the stress hormones of adrenaline, cortisol and hydrocortisone. This in turn has been shown to strengthen our immune system. The research has demonstrated that people who consistently show compassion are slower to, so, are slower to show signs of ageing. It's also found that men find women who are compassionate far more attractive, and women stated that compassion was their most desired attribute when looking for a partner. Why is it that both men and women identify compassion as a highly desirable attribute in a partner? Now, everyone has at some time in their childhood and young adult life been on the receiving end of someone who's being harsh, judgmental or critical. It makes the recipient feel awful. So the wish to have a partner who's kind and compassionate makes sense if you want a happy and stress-free relationship. Sadly, whilst it's the most desired attribute in a partner, in many relationships it proves to be in very short supply. I work with many couples who have been experiencing challenges in their relationship. One of the things which makes the greatest difference is to help them recognise how their words and actions impact on one another and to identify ways in which they can be kinder and more compassionate in their dealings with one another on a day-to-day -day basis. All too often, the couples have got into a pattern of negative habitual behaviour which has the power to trigger the other into their negative habitual behaviours and the results are quite toxic. Generally, when this is happening, both partners are operating at a completely unconscious level. Their words or actions, or lack of them, 
trigger a reaction which has in its origin something which happened much earlier in life. The tone of voice, particular words which are used, or certain behaviours experienced from their partners, take them back to a time when they felt sad, frightened, vulnerable, belittled, or just plain unhappy. Often this has been done by a nagging or critical parent or teacher who very frequently have the right motive in mind. It's just done very clumsily. The parent or teacher wants the child to do better and so they're critical. When this happens, the partner who is on the receiving end responds in a way which is disproportionate to the situation and so the situation escalates. When this happens on a regular basis, it erodes self-confidence in the individual and destroys any sense of closeness or intimacy. I'd like to share with you an example of a, a, a couple, a clients, who discovered how being compassionate to one another made a huge difference to the quality of their relationship. The couple came to me as they were experiencing profound difficulties in their marriage. They'd been married for almost 30 years. They had three children. One was working, another was at university, and the youngest was still at school. The couple had been running their own business, but because of the recession, the business was in the last throes of being disbanded. The husband had been effectively at home for the last nine months, and the wife had a small part-time job and was also involved in caring for her elderly parents. When I first saw them, the wife saw this as the last-ditch attempt to save their marriage. She was tearful and anxious. The husband, on the other hand, was completely withdrawn and found it difficult to make eye contact. Now, when clients come to work with me, I think it's vital that they're prepared to engage and that they want things to change. At our first meeting, I asked them to outline the current situation from their individual perspectives, and I'm sharing with you my summation of that conversation. They had enjoyed their relationship for many years, enjoying a shared sense of humour and a love of travelling. The wife was the person who organised the family, and she was happy to do that. She said that she felt that she could manage anything when her husband was her emotional rock. He'd always been economical with words, but she knew everything was okay because he would be there with a hug and say something to make her feel better. I asked how things were now. After much hesitation, a very different picture emerged. Difficulties with the business and a series of bereavements in the extended family some five years before had been the catalyst for a shift in the relationship. But after further exploration, it turned out that there had been a slow and general decline in their relationship since their youngest child had been born. The pregnancy had been difficult and the child had been sickly for the first few years. Before we went any further... It was really important to discover if they were both 100% committed to saving their marriage as anything less would not enable them to find a way forward to a loving, interdependent relationship which would sustain them both into the future. There could be no playing lip service to this. 
One of the challenges they faced was the changing the pattern of behaviour which had become established over the last few years of their marriage. The wife was sad and lonely within the marriage. She felt hurt that her husband had not been there for her when she'd suffered two family bereavements in quick succession. She was obviously very unhappy and described how she felt anxious all the time. She'd become critical and sharp towards her husband. He, on the other hand, had withdrawn emotionally from her. When they spent time together, he was usually engaged on his computer, phone or the iPad. General conversation had become rare unless it was about practical things to do with the children. And I have to say, in a number of the, the couples that I've worked with, this has been a pretty common pattern. He was feeling depressed and felt he was a failure because of the business. He had recently got a new job, but saw being employed rather than having his own business as a step backwards. His wife's criticism of him simply reinforced how wretched he was feeling. One of the first things which needed to be established for both of them was compassion for each other and for themselves. I worked with each of them individually and as a couple. We established what needed to happen for them to be compassionate and for them to feel that the other partner was being compassionate towards them. Sharing this was important, as so often partners think they're demonstrating compassion, affection, trust or love, but it doesn't land in the way they intend on the other person. We set up new patterns of behaviour based on their conversation, and over the next few weeks their behaviour towards themselves and each other became much more compassionate. They began to communicate in a different way, and this helped them rekindle shared interests and to be demonstrably more affectionate towards one another. Of course, this was only one aspect of the work we did together, but it was a vital component in transforming the relationship from one which was at baking point to a positive, loving one where both parties felt valued and supported. Think about your own relationships. How compassionate are you in your dealings with your loved ones? Think about the words you use. Are you more likely to be dismissive, critical, or are you supportive and loving? Is your behaviour that of a compassionate love partner, or are you absent emotionally? Indifference, apathy, ignoring, the withdrawal of attention or affection are the very opposite of compassion. When they become a common pattern in a relationship, they sound the death knell to joy, happiness and love. I believe that being right is seriously overrated. If you find yourself regularly wanting the last word or being seen to be correct and want to correct any inaccuracies in the other's comments or stories, ask yourself, why is that so important to you? Now, of course there are times when it's vital to get things exactly correct, but more often than not, it doesn't really matter. And staying silent is the compassionate thing to do. How would it feel if you agreed to differ or simply let it go? Some partners don't use actual language to have the last word. They flounce, sulk 
or slam the door. And whilst no words are being used, be aware you're sending a very loud and at times aggressive message to your partner. If you find yourself engaging in this type of response or on the receiving end, ask yourself what is the cost to your relationship and to your own emotional well-being? Are you both being compassionate one to another or not? You are the only person who's responsible for you. You can't change someone else, yet when you begin to behave differently it often has an impact on the behaviour of the other person. Don't expect instant results unless both parties are engaging with the change. However, if you make consistent changes, particularly when that change results in your showing greater compassion for the other person, you will experience a positive difference in their responses over time. Have a think. How might you change your behaviour to show the people that you care about greater compassion? It's important to demonstrate compassion in the workplace, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because research on compassion has been found that it has profound effects in the workplace on relationships and productivity. Stress levels were highest among workers where there was a lack of compassion demonstrated by bosses and the opposite was also found to be true. Stress is the most common reason for people to take time off work. It costs industry billions of pounds and dollars each year and creates a huge amount of unhappiness, distress and physical illness. Yet how often do you hear about the benefits of bosses taking a real, genuine interest in their staff? Managers who radiate warmth and genuine care for their colleagues were found to demonstrate better levels of productivity in their team, less absenteeism, greater loyalty and to have a generally happier workforce. At every level, it makes sense to be compassionate. But just as important is to be a compassionate employee. I've worked with many organisations helping them develop effective leadership and have a number, had a number of discussions about showing compassion and treasuring goodwill over the years. So I think it's important to make a clear distinction. You can be truly compassionate and still have high expectations of your staff and hold them to account effectively. In places where the culture of the organisation is built on compassion and respect, I've found it's far easier to have genuinely positive relationships. There are always going to be times when staff need to be held to account. It should be a very natural part of what goes on. But there's a very significant difference in the way managers and staff deal with negative feedback in organisation where there's a con- culture of compassion. It's far more likely to be a culture of trust and shared understanding so that the underlying motive is seen to be helping the person involved improve, develop and grow professionally. Where there's a lack of compassion, negative feedback is seen as negative, judgmental and it tends to damage already strained relationships. Goodwill requires there to be respect and compassion on both sides. 
It's a very precious commodity, in my opinion, and should never be taken for granted. To work, goodwill is based on managers and staff caring about each other and what they're doing. Being a compassionate leader and manager makes sense at every level. It supports positive working relationships, which are at the heart of ensuring ongoing success. Compassion doesn't stop there. Being compassionate to all living things and to our environment is just as important if we wish to leave a legacy to our children and grandchildren generations who come after them that is positive. Scientists believe we've reached a critical place in our history. The behaviour of the human race individually and collectively is going to determine the future and each one of us can make a difference. Remember the mosquito. We've looked compassion for others, both personally and professionally, for animals and the environment, but probably the most important focus for your compassion is yourself. I've worked with thousands of people now, and I've noticed how often people find it easier to show compassion and care to other people, to their pets, to the environment, but are anything but compassionate to themselves. They're incredibly judgmental about themselves. They constantly criticise and belittle themselves and are unforgiving when they get something wrong. They fail to look after themselves physically, emotionally and spiritually. They use an entirely different, much tougher set of rules for themselves than they do for anyone else. Being compassionate to yourself does not mean being indulgent. It involves treating yourself as well as you do others, using the same set of criteria you use for others to judge yourself. It means practising self-care, looking after yourself as you would a really good friend. It means accepting yourself as you are, acknowledging your many attributes and giving yourself permission to shine. How compassionate are you to yourself? Do you treat yourself as well as you do others? Do you often say yes to others when you'd really like to say no? And if you do say no, does that mean that you feel guilty and you beat yourself up? How well do you look after yourself physically? What's your diet like? Do you drink plenty of water? Do you take regular exercise? Are you a smoker? Or are you using alcohol or drugs, prescription or otherwise, to manage stress? Do you sleep well? If not, maybe it's time to think about how you can be more compassionate to yourself on a consistent basis. You'll find lots of free resources on my website. And the address for that is https colon forward slash forward slash genuinely hyphen you dot com. Say that again, https colon forward slash forward slash genuinely hyphen you dot com. I look forward to being with you again soon. I'm sending you my love. It's Gina. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work spanning over 30 years of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled and how to achieve it. 
please visit genuinely-u.com today to find out more.